0: listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Stephen Yi.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for being here today as we gather together to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming in person. Thank you for those also that are joining online. I wanna invite you and wanna make sure you know the invitation is open and here. Uh, Come, join us here so that we can worship and fellowship and encourage one another together. But but what a blessing it is to be here today, isn't it? You know, there's a few things that I wanna remind you of. If you didn't catch it on the announcement video, because I know all of you were here during that video. Uh, but a couple dates to keep in mind, or a few dates. April 9th, we have the blessing of ordaining five new deacons here at Northwest. That we feel five of these men that God has called to serve him in this way. April 9th, from 11 to 1 p.m. Please make it, put it on your calendar, but also sign up. There's a sign-up sheet that will be in the narthex. There's a pink clipboard that my mother-in-law is holding up right now in the back of the the sanctuary. (laughs) It's going to be available. Sign up or else. I mean, sign up, please. And also, there has been an email sent out. You can also sign up online. Virginia has has graciously set that up as well. We need a head count because we're going to have food afterwards. So if you didn't sign up, you can't eat. No, no, you can still eat, but please sign up so that it will help us plan for for our deacon ordination. And, of course, the food's not most important. The most important part is that we recognize what God is doing and how God has called these faithful men uh, to serve him in this way, April 9th. And then I want you to mark your calendars for April 15th and April 17th because April 15th is Good Friday all right, this whole, that whole weekend, we're going to remember the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Good Friday, joint worship service with Chinese speaking and English together, worshiping Jesus together. And then Easter Sunday morning, we have a sunrise service, which is at 7 a.m. And then there will be breakfast after that. And I'm sure we'll have a sign-up sheet for that as well soon. Uh, and then we'll have our worship Chinese and English Uh, worship services and Bible studies at 9.15 and 10.45 in the morning, Easter Sunday, April 17th. So please mark those dates on your calendar. Please sign up and uh, look forward uh, to that weekend. It's going to be great. Uh, If you didn't know this about me, I do enjoy talking with people. <laughs> so, and I know it may not seem like that on Sunday mornings. there's a million things going through my mind, a million things I need to do or think I need to do, but I do enjoy talking with people. Yes, of course, my dear church family, uh, but also other people that I, that I meet in, in various situations. One reason I like to talk to people is because I really enjoy seeing how God can work, how God can work in somebody else's life, through a conversation. And if I were to speak honestly about myself, I am a simple man, and there's nothing about me, especially on the outside, uh, that, that is special, uh, nothing about my appearance or status in this life. But yet I've noticed this one thing to be true, that when I choose to trust God and I choose to, to kind of be bold in a way and share about my relationship with God, or, or I take the step to, to actually be quiet and listen to people, and share maybe a word of encouragement or share uh, some some truth from God's word with somebody to encourage them, I get to see God work in such amazing ways. And I'm not saying every conversation I have is this mind-blowing, like light shines down from heaven on me every time I talk to somebody. But when I step back and I look at those, those interactions that I have, I can see God working in so many different ways. Sometimes I get to see how God is working in the the people that I'm talking with. But something else I've noticed is this. When I really take a moment to think and reflect, I realize that more often than not, God has been working in my heart. God has been working in my heart to mold me and make me to be more like him. God has been working on me to, to, to learn, to mature, to stretch, or to grow my faith and trust in him. And it's, it's oftentimes during these conversations that I have with people that my faith is affirmed and my faith grows. You know, I was just talking to a couple of, of men uh, in these past two weeks, two different situations, two different times. And each of these men, I, I took the opportunity to ask them, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord? Because we started talking about religion, we started talking about beliefs, and I asked them, Do, have you... Have you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord? And do you know what? Their responses were very similar. Now, it's not word for word that I'm going to share with you, but, but they, they both said, yes. Yes, I put my faith in Jesus. I believe in God. And then they said something. They, they both followed up with something like this, to this effect. You know, Steve, I, I try to do my best to do good, but I'm not perfect. Why is it that when I ask them, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, that they automatically follow up with, well, you know, I, I try my best to do good, Steve, but, but I'm not perfect. So in both of these conversations, there's a lot of stuff that, that I take away from them. But one thing that, that, that was brought to my mind that I felt like after talking with these two men, I felt like they struggled with their understanding of the relationship between faith and works. Now, I didn't get into it deeply with them, and I didn't try to teach them, and, oh, you need to study the book of James, and, and uh, you need to listen to all my sermons. Uh, no, it just made me think, man, I, 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 they, if, if they knew the truth, I wonder if they struggle with this idea and, and these two things, faith and works. But it reminded me again of the importance of knowing the truth. What is the truth? What is the truth about the relationship between faith and works? And the only way we can find that truth and and understand the relationship there is between faith and works is when we go to God's Word, because God's Word is truth. We need to look to the Bible. We need to look at what God says and not what we think about faith and works. So it is. This is so important. This is so important because God's Word you know, whether we understand it or we choose, or we don't understand it or we choose to reject it or we choose to receive it, it is a matter of spiritual life or death. And especially in regards to these things, faith and works. We know from God's word, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Right? For we are saved by God's grace through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It's not of our works. It's not of our doings. But it's a gift from God so that no one can brag, no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has created in advance for us to do. We know this passage, so we know that salvation is by God's grace, as there's nothing we could have done, but it's through faith, through trusting Jesus as our Lord that we are saved. It's not by anything we could ever do to earn or to achieve. We know that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son. This is a gift from God. Well, We must understand what it means to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But we must also understand what James is saying here, what God is saying to us through James. As James writes this, he teaches us by God's grace that we are saved. When we look at this passage today and as we're studying the book of James, we see that by God's grace we are saved. We are saved. There's no question about it. We are saved by God's grace when we choose to trust Jesus as Lord. We are saved by God's grace when we choose to trust Jesus as our Lord. But our action, our works, our lives, our changed lives are evidence of this faith that we have in Jesus. How we live our lives is evidence of the work that Jesus has done in our hearts our lives lived out. They are the, the fruit of what God has done already on the inside and in giving us new life through his son Jesus. So this is extremely important. Why is it important to know that we have a saving faith? Well, look at, look at Matthew chapter 7. I want to share this with you. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There will be a day when Jesus comes back, and we will all stand before the Lord, And yes, there will be a judgment about our salvation. And there will also be another judgment for believers of how we've used all that God has given us. But see, Jesus right here is talking about that judgment about salvation. There will be some that said, I did this for you, God, but I did this for you, God. And he said, I never knew you. Get away from me. We're saved by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when we live a life fueled by faith in Jesus Christ, we can know for sure that we have eternal life, and our life will show it. Look at this passage for this morning. I want to invite you to open up your bulletin. If you'd like to follow an outline, you can follow along on that that paper outline in your bulletin. You can follow along on the screen as well. But let's look at our passage today, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. James writes this, James 2, verses 14 through 19. I want to read it out loud. You can follow along silently. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say... You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, in this passage, James is kind of the situation where he's conversing with an imaginary person. I mean, he's not talking to imaginary people. He's just giving an example here. And this person claims to have faith but has no deeds. There's no action behind their words. A person who claims uh, that you can separate faith from works. And so this obviously was something that was a common train of thought uh, to where James needs to address this at the time. And so he does so. He addresses this very directly and very boldly. And oftentimes when I read this passage, it's hard for me to believe that this is talking, this is something that I need to think about. Because oftentimes I think, well, of course, I I prayed, I put my trust in Jesus when I was 10 years old, I'm saved, I'm good. Well, to a certain extent, yes, we're saved by God's grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But look at what James is saying about what our life should show. James says that the reality of faith is this. Faith without works is dead. Dead meaning that it does not save, it is not alive, it does not exist. This passage is extremely important for each of us to understand because it sheds light on our hearts. And it makes us ask the question, is my faith in Jesus Christ or is it not? Is my faith in Jesus Christ or is it not? When we study this passage, we find and we see that a faith that saves is a faith that acts. That's that's the overall arching theme of this whole book that James is writing, that God to us is that a faith that saves is is a faith that acts. Here are true three truths about a faith that acts. I want to share these with you quickly. The first truth is this faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives. Faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives. Look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? This is a rhetorical question. James wants us to to realize that no, this kind of faith, this is not faith at all. If you claim to have faith but your life doesn't show it, That means you don't have a sincere faith in Jesus. From the beginning here, right, in verse 14, James is saying that it is possible to claim to have faith in Jesus, but to not really place your faith in Jesus. To claim to have faith, but not to be saved. So how do you know then? How can we know? For some of us, we read this and like, oh, Pastor Steve, I'm scared. Am I really saved? How do I know? James tells us to look for fruit. Look for fruit. Don't go outside and look at the grapefruit tree. But he's saying, look at your life. He's saying deeds, works, actions are the fruit of faith. And the real, uh, they are the fruit of faith, a real, true, genuine faith. A genuine faith in Jesus Christ will produce fruit. It's not a question of if it will produce fruit. Once we place our faith in Jesus Christ, remember that God is doing the work inside of us. He changes us. He makes us new. And he gives us His Holy Spirit that equips us and sanctifies us and empowers us to do everything that he's created and called us to do. And so our lives will show something different when we put our faith in Jesus. So then if there's not spiritual fruit in my life, then that may be Uh, an indicator, a red flag that, hey, I need to ask myself that question and give an honest answer. Have I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord, my master, the one I want to follow? It's not, oh, am I living a perfect life right now? Then I'll be able to decide if I'm saved or not. No, the question is, have you trusted Jesus as your Lord? See, James echoes what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20. Remember, there's in, in the book of James, this is, there's a lot of comparisons and correlations between uh, what James writes and what Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from the thorn bush or figs from the thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Can you say that 10 times fast? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is not the means of salvation. This is evidence of salvation. What is on the outside is evidence of what is on the inside. Fruit in our lives is evidence of faith in our hearts. See, this is a simple truth. That sets the stage for this next part of this passage in verses 15 through 17. And that brings us to our our second truth here. People who fail to help poverty-stricken fellow believers are, in fact, not saved. Now, let me explain this, but let's look at what James says. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes. Brother or sister, meaning part of the family of God, part of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one, one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So we all see the scenario, right, the example here. There's a brother and sister, or sister in Christ one of our church family members that has professed faith in Jesus Christ, a fellow believer that has no food to eat, no clothes to wear, and they come to ask, Steve, can you help me, please? I have nothing. And I say, oh, I'll pray for you. Go be well and feel full. See ya. Lip service is not the same as sacrificial service. And I would have to say that lip service is not really service at all. And this is not a passage about saving and, and, and making every poor person in the world a millionaire or a billionaire. Uh, uh, this is not about, uh, you know, anytime you see someone that is poor, you have to sell everything that you have and be poor so that they can have something. This is talking about the relationship between faith and works. This is an example of our faith in Jesus Christ producing in us a sincere love for our brother and sister, a sincere sincere love for others, especially those in the body of Christ. It's a love, right, that is like Jesus loves us. This love that leads us to willingly sacrifice for the benefit of someone else. This is a direct faith check. This is a direct heart check. Would you help a brother or sister in need? You know, 1 John 3, verse 17 says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? It's one of those rhetorical questions again. The love of God does not reside in the person who sees a brother or sister in Christ in need and then closes a, a blind, makes, takes a blind eye towards that need implication here is that it can't you see now some of us might be thinking well what about the thief on the cross pastor steve what about the thief on the cross wasn't he saved he couldn't do anything after he i mean he's dying he died and before he died he said jesus remember me in paradise jesus said hey today you will be with me in paradise that's because of his faith Because of his faith alone in Jesus Christ, that that thief on the cross was saved. Yes, he didn't have the opportunity to do a bunch of good works and get down off of that cross. That's why we have to understand, saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ our Lord. You're not saved by works, but those of us that are living, we can test. The testing of our faith Right? produces perseverance perseverance, let it have its way so that we can grow in maturity in Jesus Christ. Well, this is one way we can test our faith. It's through our lives and how we act and how we use our energy, our time and our talents and our thoughts and our words. Does, do our lives bear spiritual fruit? That's an important question. And that is a, a stark warning also for those of us who may think about this question and and our answer is, hmm, I don't really know if my life is bearing fruit. It should cause us not to doubt whether Jesus saves us, but it should spur us on to go to Jesus and to remember and to thank Jesus, thank you for dying for me and forgiving me of all my sin, dying on the cross and rising from the dead and giving me new life. But then it should lead us to live this new life for him in obedience to Him. We should start to desire the things that He teaches and commands us in His Word. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Don't get it wrong. When we say faith and works, don't highlight the works and say you have to live a perfect life or else you're not saved. No. When you trust Jesus, you can know and believe that Jesus was perfect, that His sacrifice was enough. Now you live You choose to live for him, with him, in him, and by his word. Faith and works, they do go together. But salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's a reminder about this second point. Acts of mercy, serving people that are in need, they are not a means to salvation, but are a necessary evidence of salvation. For those of us that are living, Okay, and he's not talking about earning God's favor. He's talking about how a genuine faith will produce fruit. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Look at that. This speaks to to when Jesus comes back and we're going to be there before the Lord. And those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to receive our reward, receive our inheritance. Look at that last part. The king will say, Come, you who are blessed. By my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. To know the mercy and the grace of God, to remember that what we have to look forward to as followers of Jesus is going to be glorious. And then, if you look further, and I, I didn't put those, these verses, these next verses on the screen, but in verses 35 through 40, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, like the righteous, the ones who have been forgiven, the ones who have been saved. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Obviously, they didn't do that to Jesus directly, for Jesus directly. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, when we minister, when we serve someone, a poor brother or a poor sister or someone in need, that's equated with serving Jesus himself. See, this is the life of a follower of Jesus. A life, a, pers- a life that loves just like Jesus loved us, who gave everything, sacrificed everything, so that we can have eternal life. This isn't a life motivated by guilt and shame. Oh, I better do this or else. Willingly sacrificing for the benefit of others. This is the product. This is the fruit. This is part of the fruit of a life of someone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ alone. And this last truth here, it leads us to this third truth. Ultimately, deedless faith is useless faith. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Again, James is just reiterating what he has been writing previously in the verses previous. He's talking to this imaginary person that's trying to separate faith from action. And James is trying to tell us and show us and illustrate to us that this is impossible. When there is genuine faith, there will be action. You see, but the, the challenge is this. The warning is this. If we don't have a desire to do God's word, we don't have a desire for God himself, then those are red flags for us to think about. God, I, I, I look at my life and I'm not, I, I really don't care about your word based off how I live my life. I don't spend time reading your word, studying your word. I, I show up to church and it, I'm just going through the motions. And when I think about it, I, I'd live my life, really, it's all about me. If you find ourselves, if we find ourselves at, with that in that reality, I want you to know you are not beyond God saving you. This is God speaking to you, convicting you, the Holy Spirit and knocking on the door of your heart, saying, "Turn to me, turn to me. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to me. Turn to Jesus and know that He forgives you. He forgave you on the cross. But now live in newness of life. Live this new life." With Jesus as Lord, your master. Not just your Sunday meeting. You see, when we talk about faith and action, faith in action, uh, I'm thankful for my brother and sister, uh, Gary and Terry uh, Irumata. And and you know what? Today we're doing something different. I want to invite them to come and to share. I'm the one that went over time. And so you guys take your time. Uh, But... I want you to invite you guys up here to share of how God, uh, how you, how you have seen God working in and through you.
0: First of all, I want to start by thanking Pastor Steve for giving us this opportunity. <clears throat> Terry, my wife, and I, along with our new friends Terry and Deb here, we're in Colorado uh, serving through disaster relief. Disaster relief is a Southern Baptist ministry, who's. Uh, deal is to bring help, hope, and uh, help, healing, and hope. So we got a call out to go to Colorado where there was that fire in December that burned over 1,000 homes. And the work that we're called to do was to do something called hash shouts. So one evening, the last last part of the week, uh, one of the the state directors there was sharing all the amazing things that God had done. It was just truly amazing. And uh, after that discussion, I immediately called Pastor Steve and asked him if we could share. Actually, I demanded, Pastor Steve, you got to let me share. And he was gracious enough to say, okay. He said, well, it ties in with what he's talking about, this whole idea about faith and action. So I do thank Pastor Steve for that. But just to kind of give you some context and to put you into, uh, give you a real good idea of what we did, I want you to take, some, take a moment now to kind of close your eyes. Maybe you don't have to close your eyes, but imagine you're living in a community that is being threatened by a wildfire. In fact, the sky is darkened, you smell the smoke, and then suddenly you're told that you have less than 10 minutes to evacuate. What kind of things would you take? Of course, the important papers, right? Insurance, passports. How about your family members? How about your pets? How about special things that really don't aren't worth a whole lot, but they have sentimental value to you. What would you take? I also want you to imagine that when you come back, you find out that everything that you had built around your life has been consumed by this fire. What's left is just metal, the ductwork from your homes, the metal that's in your furniture, the appliances, maybe a car that you couldn't save. What kind of emotions would be going through you? And then you find out that the county is giving you 60 days to salvage whatever might have survived the fire. Okay, in addition to dealing with insurance companies, the governmental agencies, trying to get your kids settled again in in, in a new situation, finding a place to live, dealing with all these things, you're told, hey, you got 60 days before the bulldozers come in, completely razz everything, and haul all this stuff out. Can you imagine a sense of loss, sense of hopelessness that you'd feel? So who would you turn to? Who are you going to call? Well, these guys might look like the Ghostbusters, but that's actually us. The Southern Baptist Disaster Relief is going to be there to help people, help you, if you face this kind of disasters. Disaster Relief is a national organization. There's groups like us all over the country. We work with FEMA, State Disaster uh, Response Organizations, the Salvation Army, the Red Cross. In Colorado, 200 A little over 200 volunteers from across the country, 15 states, agreed to go to and serve for eight weeks, not the whole eight weeks. Some people were there for four or five weeks. But for the eight-week period, Southern Baptists were there to help sift through the remains of 435 homes to try to help their owners acquire something that was a touch point to their past. That evening, as the director from Colorado was sharing, this is just some of the things that he said that we were able to recover for the homeowners. And I just want to point out that the 2,000 pounds of coins is not a typo. This group found 24, I guess, bins worth of coins for one homeowner. But a lot of jewelry. Think about your wedding bands, your engagements, your diamonds, your jewelry. Figurines, a lot of dishes silverware, and in our case, our team was able to find an Olympic ring and cufflink, which Terry's going to share a little bit about because this is really what our faith story is all about.
2: All right, so um, I get to the privilege of sharing one of our days uh, working on a site. And this was actually our first site that we went to. Um, of Ash sifting. It was um, in the Boulder, Colorado area um, for the Marshall fire, uh, so we started off our day, um, and it was minus two degrees that morning <laughs> in Colorado. <laughs> kind of not used to that temperature, um, and it snowed, so you can see all the snow there. Um, our Arizona crew, you saw that Ghostbuster picture. Um, we had five people from Arizona that went. Um, our uh, our lead, uh, who was also the state director, her name's Patty, went with us, and then. Um, we met a new couple, um, Terry and Deb sitting there in the other bright yellow shirts. Can't miss them. <laughs> um, so there were five of us from Arizona. Um, so the homeowner, uh, her name was Sandy, she was actually out of state at this site. So we called her and um, you know she had seen, this is actually her, her uh, town home that had burned and it was like two stories um, with a basement. So everything had burned down into the basement. Um, and you know, she thought, well, nothing could have survived that when she saw what was left. But she did say, you know, if there's one thing that you guys could find for me, um, the one thing we want that she wanted was her husband's Olympic ring. So she was a widow of 10 years, and her husband had been um, was a well-known coach in the Colorado area. And in 2000, he'd also coached athletes for the 2000 Olympics in track and field. So two of them had medaled. And so he had received an Olympic ring, and that was the one thing. She said, just want one thing. I want this Olympic ring. Um, well, if you look at that, it's like, okay, one ring. We want to find that in this. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, so we started off, we start off um, every job praying. Um, if the homeowner's there, we'll get with them, and we'll pray with them also. Um, she was out of town, so we weren't able to pray with her at that time. Um, but if you think about it, it's like those are. That's like Gary shared 435 sites that we sifted. That's like over 400 opportunities that we're able to, to stand with someone um, who's hurting and to be able to pray with them. Okay. Um, so getting started on the job, we climbed down down into the basement. You see that ladder there in the corner, and um, we had to dig through before we could get to the debris. We had to dig through two feet of snow and ice because it had snowed before it had melted and refroze and then it snowed again. So we were digging through ice and snow and then getting to the debris. Um, The first day, you know, we were able to find things like photos, books, um, medals, baseball cards, some other items, so not everything had burned up. Um, And when we got to the ash, we were hauling up, filling buckets and hauling the buckets up out of the basement and sifting through it. So um, the end of the day came and we had not found the one thing that she had asked for, the Olympic ring. So we did return on the second day, and it was a balmy eight degrees that started off in the morning, (laughs) warmed up really a lot. (laughs) So our lead, um, Patty, she told me later, like, the four of us, Gary, myself, and Terry and Deb had been down in the basement, moving debris and digging, and uh, she said when we were down there, she got down and knelt. But knelt up there, and she had prayed that God would be glorified, that he would help us to find that ring. So she told us about that later. Um, So anyway, Terry and Deb stayed down there, moving more things, filling up buckets of ash, and Gary and I went up top with uh, Patty to sift ash. And um, Terry and Deb, while they were down there, they found a box and opened it up, and it had, like, a pair of cufflinks in it. And they're like, okay, put that on the side, you know, for the homeowner. And then Gary and I were sifting up top, and... We found uh, rings, we found some coins. And then after a while, um, I found another ring and I pulled it out, I showed it to, to our lead, um, Patty. And she's like, I said, do you think this is anything? And she's like, well, she took a picture. She sent a text to the homeowner, Sandy. And within, like right away, less than a minute, she got a call back and the homeowner, Sandy, said, that's it, that's the Olympic ring. <laughs> so that's the ring on the left-hand side. And she told her, well, we also found some other items. One of them was a box with cufflinks. And she's like, oh, that's the Olympic cufflinks. She had forgotten that her husband had received Olympic cufflinks too. So it was it was really cool. Um, and uh, the homeowner also said, she said, oh, that's, that's a modern-day miracle to find it. So we were like screaming and yelling and jumping around and the homeowner was crying on the phone and we were shedding some tears to him because it was really amazing to be able to find that for the homeowner um, there were some workers around and they were like what's all the commotion what are you guys <laughs> making all that noise for so it was amazing we got to tell them what God had done now he had helped us to find that that ring for the homeowner so um, at the end of the at the end of the workday, day um, every homeowner gets a bible they receive a bible that's signed by all of the workers there. So if you think about it, that's like over 400 Bibles that are out there in the Boulder, Colorado area that were not there before. So it's amazing. So Ephesians 3.20 really tells us that God is able to do so much more than we can ever imagine or ever ask. So that was our first first day, first experience.
0: In addition to the actual finding of those articles, We're also told that 15 new believers are now living in the Boulder County. 15 people who never knew Christ gave their life to the Lord as a result of the work that was done there. And even more amazing, uh, this town, Louisville, part of the Boulder County, actually had an ordinance prohibiting churches in their town. But after seeing the work from the disaster relief, one of the councilmen, said he is now open to changing that ordinance and allowing churches to begin building. So you know that Southern Baptists are going to be ready to send church planters into that area to begin that work. Finally, there's one homeowner whose items could not be recovered. And and this this happened to us too, and it's really heartbreaking when you can't find the one thing that that owner wanted. Um, But as the And you feel apologetic. You're like, I'm so sorry we couldn't find what you were looking for. But as one team reported that the owner responded to their apologies by saying, you showing up showed me that you cared. And I think that's what it's all about as far as being Christians, being followers of Jesus, showing up and being there when people are in their times of need and hurting. One of the things that can't be captured in a photo, for me personally, every evening we'd have these time to regroup, decompress, kind of share what happened uh, throughout the day, talk about uh, testimonies we, ex- you know, things that we saw God do. You know, sharing meals with people who we've never met before, um, just spending time among believers, everyone. Focused on serving the Lord, everyone focused on glorifying Jesus it was such an impact for me because as I sat there one evening, it really struck home for me I said, man, this is what heaven is going to be like. this is just a small glimpse of what heaven's going to be like when we 're among all the believers throughout history rejoicing, celebrating and worshiping our Lord so that was a really meaningful um, for me an impact that I gained out of this experience in that week we spent in Boulder. You've already seen this verse numerous times. But the reason I wanted to put it up is because this experience has also kind of given me a different take on this verse personally. For me, faith and action are intricately bound. We step out because of our faith. But when we step out, our faith is strengthened because we stepped out. Every time we've uh, been on these uh, disaster relief call-outs, every time we've served on our mission trips, every time we've tried to do something we served in some of the community service efforts, we've seen God work in amazing ways. And it's just such an encouragement to me to know that our God is a God that answers, that hears our prayers. We get to be the hands and feet of God. And so I just wanted to take a little bit of time to, to share how you might be involved. Now, we, start, we are sharing about disaster relief, but there are many ways that you can get involved in God's work. Um, but if you're interested in disaster relief, first and foremost, I ask you to pray. Pray for those who suffered loss. In fact, we just got word that uh, some disaster relief teams from America will be heading over to the Ukraine area to minister to the refugees. So there's three groups at least going out. We're planning to go out and uh, I'd love to be part of that work. It remains to be seen, but pray, pray for the people who are being sent, pray for the people that they're ministering to. Hey, you can volunteer. The average age of a disaster relief volunteer is 70. <laughs> All right. So hey, everybody's young here, right? <laughs> I bring this I for one for one time, I bring the average down. <laughs> but no, you can go. There's many different ways that you can serve in disaster relief. Uh, being part of the food service, just helping with the shower units, being a chaplain, to be there to minister to people. You can donate to the Arizona Disaster Relief. Some of your our offerings that we gather, the cooperative giving portion of our, our offerings help support part of that help support disaster relief but there's always a need for to replace equipment to replace get more supplies so if you're you feel led to donate to disaster relief please come and see us we can uh, advise you how to do that you can go as far as to register a credit card at Home Depot or Lowe's and whenever you (laughs) use that card at one of those stores a portion I think it's five percent gets donated to disaster relief so if you're feeling led to get involved in this ministry, I encourage you to come talk to us. Finally, there's ministry, like I mentioned earlier, there's ministry opportunities everywhere, right? Our church, we desperately need people who are willing to serve in our, with our children, teachers, helpers. We can use help in the usher and the welcome ministry. So there's many ways that you can help get involved in, serve, in using your faith to serve others. Talk to Pastor Steve talk to any of the ministry leaders, come talk to me. I'd be happy to help guide you and show you where there's opportunities to serve. And I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of plug our upcoming summer mission trip in July. If you feel ever had any interest in joining us on the Native American reservation at McNary, please come see me. We're starting to make plans for that week-long trip. I like this verse, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So my prayer is that all of us would seek to find ways that we can use the gifts, the talents, the time that we have to serve the Lord, because when we step out in faith, the Lord is always there and responds. So it truly builds your faith in this awesome God that we worship and that we call our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for the privilege it's been to serve you, to see you work up in Colorado, and to see you work in the many ways even here in Arizona, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to guide us, continue to lead us. And Father God, I, I pray at this time for the people in Ukraine, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would work in the hearts of the leaders there to help them to seek peace and to and this uh, violence that is going on there, Lord God. I pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who are volunteering to go there to serve and to minister to the refugees. Father, I pray for your protection. I pray for your provision. I pray for your presence to be felt in amazing ways. And Lord, again, I thank you for my brothers and sisters at Northwest and the support and love that we get from them. I just pray your blessings upon everyone in your name. Amen.
1: Hey, thank you, Gary and Terry, for sharing uh, your testimony of how God has, has been working in your, your lives and also the lives of others. Uh, and I want to finish with this last verse in our, in our passage today. Verse 19, James writes, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And I want to remind you about these three realities, these clear three truths about faith. And here they are. You can see them right there on the screen. Faith is not a mere intellectual acknowledgement. It's it's not just a piece of information. Faith is not simply an emotional response. Look at what James writes in verse 19. Even the demons, they know full well who God is. They know about how he is sovereign and all-powerful and all-knowing and that that in the end they know what's coming for them. You see, and even the demons, they they have a, a response when they think about God's greatness and his glory. What do they do? They shudder in fear. See, faith is not simply an emotional response, but faith involves willful obedience. And that's what the demons do not do. They do not proclaim, confess Jesus as Lord. They do not choose to willfully follow Jesus. You see, they believe, but they don't trust in Jesus. And so my encouragement to you, dear brother, dear sister, Will you trust Jesus as your Lord today? And if that's your desire, maybe for this morning, God is calling you. He's been knocking on the door of your heart and today is the day that you need to let him in. That you need to decide, you know what? I, I, I thought Jesus was just an insurance ticket to heaven. But today I, I realize and I want Jesus to be my Lord. And if that's you today, I want you to know That you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that your sins have been forgiven. That you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that one day you're going to see Jesus face to face. And you're going to hear those words, well done. You know that your eternity, the rest of your eternity is secure. But for some of you others, my brothers, my sisters, maybe it's it's a point of confessing a sin that, you know what, Jesus, I haven't been following you. I haven't really cared about obeying you and putting your words into action, putting faith into action. But I want to I want to be a doer of your word and not just a hearer of your word. And for those of you, my dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know you've already been forgiven of your sins. But let's choose today. Let's put it on our priority. Let's make Jesus our priority. Let's put our prior- on our priority list God's word and his commands. And let's encourage one another with God's word, with grace, and with love, and with truth. And together, let's go out. Let's live out our faith. Let's live this new life together to God's glory, proclaiming the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that more people would be saved until we see him face to face. If that's your desire, I want to invite you just to stand. Everyone, if you would just stand with me. We're going to sing this song. I want to give you, we, want, we always want to give you an opportunity to respond to God. If you've made any decision today as we sing this song, I want to invite you to come up forward and, and share it with me so that I can pray with you. Or if you just want to simply kneel at these steps and confess to God or pray to God and ask for God's help, I invite you to come as we sing this song. Would you come?
0: If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to other sermons
2: and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org.
0: We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.